Hello and welcome to Wild and Theology. My name is Kaylee and this is my dear friend and co-host William. Hello. <laughs> so today I'm going to be taking you through some of the insights of my most recent mushroom trip that I did this past September on mm -hmm. the first day of autumn, which is significant for me. Wow, that is, yeah. <laughs> what day is that, September 21st? 20th. Oh, 20th, okay. Yes, okay. yeah. And um, the theme of this trip was developing an understanding of duality and the necessity of building structures to allow for safe and secure access to higher states of consciousness, mm. understanding, and experience. Sounds fun. Yeah. yeah. So I hope you enjoy. And before we get into that, if you would like, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Wild and Theology. And Instagram, right? You say Instagram? Yeah. I always Instagram. miss Instagram. You always say, <laughs> I always say Twitter, and then I'm like, oh, Instagram as well. And you're like, oh, yeah, I said that, Will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's get into it. Mm -hmm. So... As I mentioned on this mushroom trip, I felt that I came to understand the inherent dualities of the universe. That's big, right? That is big. That's like <laughs> intense. It felt like, you know, like deep down to like the primordial mm -hmm. truth of yeah. the universe. Well, what do you mean by dualities? Okay, well, we'll get into that. Okay. <laughs> um, this was a heavily visionary trip. So a lot of the insights were playing out in my mind as visions. But the words that were accompanying the visions and that were guiding my interpretation were using the concepts of masculine and feminine as energies. Okay. And I think this speaks to where I was at at the time. You know, um, this speaks to the level of complexity that, of where I'm at in my current understanding of things. And it, this was a language that made sense for me. It was personally meaningful and we'll get deeper into that. But I just want to make a little note about the limitations of language and concepts in general. Okay, cool. <laughs> this is what I like. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> because these words are really just labels that I used at the time to work my way towards this deeper understanding. Behind that label, it, there's like a fundamental truth of something. Right. And I use the words masculine and feminine, and that's how it was playing out for me during the trip. But since the trip, even, my perspective has broadened and my understanding of these insights have deepened. And there are many other words that could be used that would basically say the same thing, you know, like force and form, for example. Right. And yeah, this speaks to the ineffability of the psychedelic and mystical experiences in general, which is like one of their defining qualities. Yeah. But consciousness works through concepts. So we have to find some word even if it's just an approximation of what is. Yeah. Capital I. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I agree completely. Like, I feel like our increasingly, you know, we are becoming critical of labels. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Where it's like, if you, if you try to label something as something, people like accuse you of generalizing or essentializing and this kind of thing, but it's reducing. like reducing, reducing. Yeah. And it's like, it's just, it's like reactionary against labels rather than saying like, okay, labels have limits, but they're also useful. Mm -hmm. And so it's like having that balance or that both end between the usefulness of a label, but understanding that there is limitations to it. And so don't become attached to the label. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like if mm -hmm. you're becoming attached to anti-labelism, then it's, you're just more and more attachment. That's might be harmful. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so a concept can be used and it can be judged by its usefulness and how it guides and directs your understanding. 
yeah. of the truth behind it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I like that. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Top notch, Kaylee. Thank you. <laughs> so now we can do a little bit of background in where I was at going into this trip, the intention for it, and where my conceptualizations of masculine and feminine were at at the time. So yeah, starting with the masculine and feminine. These are words that can be interpreted at multiple levels. Yeah. That, and like all of those levels uniquely contribute to the complex concept of them. So like there's personal, cultural, societal, symbolic, hmm. and no level is entirely separate from the other. So it's very complex. But since I have been working on my personal spiritual development, I have found myself drawn to this concept of the masculine and feminine energy mm-hmm. duality. As for most people, my gender and sexuality are important parts of my identity, and I've had to do a lot of work around these self-concepts to formulate my own personal meaning and expression, which has been a process of in- endlessly trying to distill what is me while sifting through the cultural conditioning and limitations that come with that. But I've always felt very feminine in my essence, like the true core of who I am has always been something that I have identified as feminine. Mm -hmm. But this feminine essence became fragmented throughout my young life because a lot of the messages I was receiving were that some parts of my femininity in some contexts were valued and some were not. Right. Mm -hmm. So like being very emotional in how I engage with the world, having spiritual inclinations and a deep appreciation for beauty Mm -hmm. were things that... I learned were like, okay, they weren't necessarily seen as bad, but they weren't really taken seriously. And in in some cases, they were actually seen as weaknesses. Yeah. Especially with emotions. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Especially with emotions. And to whatever degree across a variety of situations, these things that felt close to my heart were scoffed at. And on the other hand, dressing and presenting myself as the particular brand of feminine that society Mm. had laid out for me as acceptable were things I was rewarded and affirmed for. But even that, even with that, some messages were conflicting. Like, you are valuable for what you can offer sexually, but you are also worthless and gross if you are sexual. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the kind of the paradox of femininity today is like, be a slut, but don't let anybody know you're a slut. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Like, this is great, but also, you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What is it, the the Madonna whore complex? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like, she has to be very modest and a lady, a virgin, but be an absolute freak in bed. And it's like, (laughs) those two don't necessarily go together, do you? Yeah. I mean, I always think about, too, like, in the older, whatever, like, Victorian era. I don't really know eras, but, you know, like, men would have very unsatisfying sexual relationships with their wives, but then they would go out and fuck prostitutes because they couldn't, like, reconcile the two. Like, that woman couldn't be your wife and be the one that you fuck like a whore. Yeah. It's one or the other. Which is, like, both and. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But anyway... So I repressed my spiritual and emotional side to keep myself safe, and I funneled my feminine energy into my looks and romantic slash sexual value. Mm -hmm. And I lost connection with so much of the beauty of my essence in that process. As I talked about extensively in the long process of integration episode, I lost most of my connection with other women because of this. And it was, it's caused a slew of unhealthy, toxic behaviors in my life. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and it's required a lot of healing intentional healing around it so in the rediscovery of my spiritual connection and nurturing these 
deeper feminine qualities that I lost touch with, I have found strength and value in these parts myself. And this was with the help of a narrative of the feminine that I found through books and podcasts and other media that presented the feminine as connected to nature, as having access to ancient wisdom, intuition, and spirituality. She was presented as all things mysterious, mystical, and sensual, very connected to the body. Right. And this was a narrative of femininity that deeply resonated with me. I felt revived and inspired by it, and it helped guide me in reconnecting with this, this part of myself. Mm-hmm. But through this process of trying to heal this aspect of my identity, I had missed the balancing part. And through putting all of these, these things associated with this divine feminine archetype on a pedestal, I put my relationship with the masculine into the shadows. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then what was my conceptualization of masculine energy? I saw that kind of energy as rigid and rational, which it was always seeking to order and define and reduce. There's like that kind of reduction quality that we talked about. It was energy that sought to control and gain power over, something that I felt was ultimately aiming to take away from that mystery Mm -hmm. that I was so inspired by and drawn to. Yeah. Well, I even remember when uh, we first started doing the Ultimate Life Purpose course, we told you about that. And you're like, oh, but I'm, I'm so mo- much more interested in like all of these amazing things that I want to do. And that seems so limiting mm-hmm. because it was like trying to funnel, like uh, you perceived it as trying to just like narrow everything down to one thing mm-hmm. rather than being focused. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I saw it as cutting things out rather than integrating things into one, like, purposeful direction. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Which now I understand is, like, that's so so false, Mm -hmm. you know? That's not what the masculine is about. No. (laughs) It is, but there's, like, more to it than that. There's so much more to it than that. And I had this very, like, this this view does sound pretty negative. I mean, it's not necessarily wrong, but I feel like even in the words that I chose to use in this description of what my conceptualization of masculine was. Even the way I say them, it carries this this tone of like, this is negative. Yeah. yeah. And, and like contributing to this developing kind of positive and negative along with the feminine and masculine was the idea that the qualities of the feminine were very much the ones that we as a society and world are lacking and disconnected from. And that this was what was causing so much of our mental and physical health issues, our social issues, and everything else. But I mean, the answer is never to go in the complete opposite direction, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh, we need a balance. Like, maybe maybe the world is patriarchal or whatever, and we have all these issues because there is a lack of balance in our values. Mm-hmm. But the answer isn't to, like, only develop the feminine side, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like, I, I've heard some people say... Um, you know, they want, uh, they want like a Supreme Court or something that only has women in it mm-hmm. to make up for all the years that men had it all to themselves. And I like, mm-hmm. I don't think that's how we balance things out. No. You know, if like, if the problem has been not working, uh, together in the past, mm-hmm. continuing to do that is just more of the same. Yeah. You know? Exactly. But yeah, I guess after describing the masculine as this like reductive, rigid, yeah kind of negative thing that seeks to gain power and control how does that make you feel (laughs) (laughs) yeah as a masculine person um 
And like, and, in, and in general, like, what are your comments on this in yeah. balance or imbalance? Yeah, I, I agree. And I, like, I consider myself to be a very masculine person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm very like routinized and I'm very like, I've gone through periods of my life where I've been very like, you know, worshiping the altar of logic and rationality and reason and emotions are something to be um, rejected and stuff like this. So not merely just like to master your emotions, but completely ignore them. Like anything emotional must be ignored because it's all lies Mm -hmm. and becoming very rigid in that way. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's like that, that's something that I can definitely relate to as a man being like, okay, yeah, that's something that I've done Mm -hmm. definitely. But part of my development has been integrating that in a more healthy way, which includes balancing it, like you said, with the feminine, mm-hmm. with being a little bit more in touch with my emotions or a lot more, depending mm-hmm. on the case, like whatever the case may be. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's something that I can definitely connect with. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's great, Will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to hear it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, given that these kind of, these perceptions of the masculine for me were kind of wrapped up in resent and negativity. Yeah. I really wasn't actively trying to heal this relationship or develop my connection to what I had conceptualized as masculine. The same, like, like I was with the feminine because it was so close to me. And however, subconsciously I decided that, that all the things that I put into that category, like rigid structures and organization of my time in the form of a schedule even though that seems so like normal and healthy. Yeah. However, subconsciously, I decided that these actions were somehow against my feminine nature. I find that so funny that like, you you know, you define scheduling as a very masculine thing, but it's just like <laughs> people just make schedules. I know. <laughs> but you've, for whatever reason, like cultural, like you said, and upbringing yeah. and stuff like this, like you've connected that it's kind of like the business world. It's like you've connected like business and, and being a professional with masculinity mm-hmm. to the point where it's like even schedules you kind of reject because you're like, oh, that's masculine. Yeah. You know, so that's how deep this cultural conditioning can go. Yeah, exactly. And mm. and how like hurt this complex was in me that yeah. I felt the need to go to that level of like resisting something as simple and healthy as setting alarms and structuring <laughs> yeah, myself yeah. you know i was like no that's like, against my nature and like like yeah. this isn't consciously like i never had these thoughts right, right. but like upon reflecting i i can see it at every level that mm-hmm. it was like a resistance of of structure because i felt that that was taking away yeah. from this feminine essence that i was trying to foster in myself or connect with well it's like we talked about in the stage blue episode where there's a like like your roles that you play are like priority biases mm-hmm. and it's not that you're consciously prioritizing everything it's just like when you think about making a schedule or waking up without a schedule you're just going to weigh one more than the other mm-hmm. it's just going to like it's going to be a feeling thing toward that yeah you know yeah and it's going to depend on the roles that you've always played the ones you've learned to play mm-hmm. yeah it, which is really funny when it comes to uh logic is that prioritizing logic over emotional over the emotions is like a feeling thing. Mm-hmm. You you feel that logic is better. And like mm-hmm. you 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 think, "Oh, I'm logically deciding that logic is better." But when you really look at what's going on, there's a feeling behind that. You feel as if that's the best pl- the best choice to have. And if mm-hmm. you didn't feel like that, you wouldn't think logic is the best. Mm-hmm. There's like the feeling comes first. Yeah. You know. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah, so that's where I was at and <laughs> it doesn't sound like a very healthy balance. No, life. it doesn't. <laughs> 
not gonna lie Kaylee you're no. fucked <laughs> yeah I mean and it wasn't it wasn't healthy at all and um yeah yeah I've, I've spoken a lot on this podcast about all the issues surrounding like my anxiety and how it's manifested mm-hmm. and there these are complex issues and I don't mean to reduce them but put simply in my personal experience I just see it as like my psyche has just been completely scattered yeah and it's like there was it was it was like there was an abyss in my mind of urges impulses and emotions that were tossing me around in like a whirlwind of chaos and i was at their whim because i hadn't developed any concrete structures to organize and navigate myself in that kind of storm yeah that's why you need a man in your life (laughs) 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 i love the instant just like like, fuck that (laughs) yeah no i mean that's the thing is that like some, some people probably like that's how they operate though you know yeah. like yeah. i feel like a lot of women are probably just like oh yeah like i have my man he will uphold that end for me and yeah. i'll never have to develop that side of myself on my own i think that's so toxic mm-hmm. you should be going into a relationship with somebody as like a complete person like mm-hmm. you'll never be complete of course yeah. but like you shouldn't need them to like complete you no especially on these very fundamental things like like responsibility self-maintenance things yeah 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 exactly exactly i don't know that sounds very toxic i mean yeah like something as simple as consciously determining your values can make a world of a difference in how you organize yourself and the Mm -hmm. confidence you feel in your control over your life you know like just having like like we've we've brought up the ultimate life purpose course and part of that is developing your top 10 values and just having 10 words to organize yourself and be like this is what the ground that i stand on as a person that is that's huge yeah like that's no small thing i mean it's making conscious your priority bias exactly yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know making conscious a priority bias that you want to have mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah exactly and um i hadn't had that yet not really you know like and maybe this simple image of my mind that i'm giving here at the more extreme end of my sufferings doesn't give me enough credit because i have consciously been on a journey of development like i said for some years now but there's just been something that i've lacked that has caused me to not really be satisfied with the pace of that progress yeah like i was not satisfied with the way i felt on a day-to-day basis i lacked power drive and confidence and i knew in my heart that i was not really giving it all that i had like i wasn't really committed to like my spiritual growth and and my, my spiritual practice right it was like yeah of course if you're engaging with these things and doing these things over years you're gonna make some progress but it didn't have like that force behind it that would like make it really feel concrete. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to connect with a stronger force within, within myself to really manifest what I knew I was capable of. And I wanted that confidence more than anything. So what really inspired the idea to go on this trip were both my realization of the deep imbalance in these energies mm-hmm. and a powerful drive to change that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I was just fed up with how I was, and I, I could see it, and I was like, you know what, fuck this. It was like, <laughs> and it was intense. I remember it was like, yeah. at the end of the summer, I just had this shift in my energy where I was like, I can't 
do this anymore. And I'm like, it's only me. I'm the only one that can do this. I just need mm-hmm. to do it. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm going to figure it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've always heard that like you, when you've been the victim of something for so long, you need to become really angry mm-hmm. to like, to get yourself out of it. Because like the victim inside of you wants to like make you powerless. Mm-hmm. And it takes anger to be like, no, fuck this. I'm, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. So I'm mm-hmm. going to do something about it. And for a lot of people, like we consider anger to be a negative thing, but when you're in that victim space, getting angry might be the best thing you can do. Yeah, for sure. It felt like a very powerful emotion. Yeah. Not one that I felt much yeah. before. Would you describe it as anger? Yes. You you would definitely. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember okay. I started like viciously cleaning my apartment too, and I was just like, fuck this. I was like getting to like deep cleaning every tiny corner. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm just gonna like no one's gonna come do this stuff for me like all the little things that i've been putting off for so long too in my life mm-hmm. i was just like attacking them yeah with anger <laughs> yeah i mean yeah that's that's one of the big things like um jordan peterson's catchphrase is like clean your damn room bucko. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. like at some point it's 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 just true you know if your room is is a pigsty and it's filthy and your house is in disarray it's like what do you expect your mind is going to be like mm-hmm. if you can't even keep your house clean? Mm-hmm. S- start with that. And then that's kind of you. You you got angry and you're like, I'm going to clean up my house. I'm going to get put this place in order. Mm-hmm. And that's allowed you to um, become that that that's a that allowed you to like build up momentum so you could actually go out and do this trip and be like, mm-hmm. fuck this. I'm getting this handled. Yeah, exactly. And that's actually a great thing to bring up because... It really is about starting with the, that foundation. So I'm going to get into the trip. A little bit about the method behind this trip, because it may come across as risky or irresponsible as advocates for safe psychedelic use. And it is important to bring awareness to that. Mm-hmm. So I ventured out on my own to a cabin that I rented on Airbnb that was in the wilderness. So it's yeah. quite isolated. <laughs> <laughs> and I intended to do the largest dose of mushrooms that I had ever done. Mm-hmm. While 20 being grams. 20 grams. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> it wasn't that much. It was 2.5. Yeah. Which is like this big for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and while being alone and isolated. It's right. like, I, I see the risk there. and But to me, this felt right. Yeah. Like I'm used to tripping alone and I'm used to doing a, like around two grams. And I really trust myself in the psychedelic space. And I've never had a bad trip, which is remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> this many times in, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I've had intense trips, emotional trips, and I feel like I know how to navigate those intense feelings and physical discomfort with like relative grace. Mm-hmm. Which is really odd considering what I just talked about, about getting caught up in like the intense whirlwind yeah, yeah. of chaos <laughs> on just like a regular everyday mm-hmm. basis. But but like it's, it's interesting because I, I say that, but then specifically on psychedelics is where I feel the most in control and confident mm. in myself. You've always said that, yeah. I know. I, yeah. It's weird, right? But that's why I love it. Um, so, so for me, going off alone, in the wilderness like this felt this felt right but this is not a method i would necessarily recommend to anyone um, being alone and tripping in a place is one thing where you can call a friend that could come to you if you need but being very isolated puts you at risk 
of not having anyone to like come to your aid yeah. if it gets bad. So don't try this at home. Yeah. Or rather only try this at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 It's so true though. Like, okay, yes, you did this very risky thing, but you, you did it being aware of the risks mm-hmm. and we really need to stress that this was a very risky thing to do. Mm -hmm. And so if you do this, don't think that it's like, oh, this is just a fun time at the cabin doing Mm -hmm. mushrooms. It's like, no, you could fucking die. Yeah. You could, you could literally die doing this and it's happened before. And so just decide for yourself what you want to risk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And like, like really look honestly at yourself based on, you know, what you're used to. Yeah. Make very conscious and intentional decisions when using, any any substance you know doing anything really yeah with all that being said though i think being off somewhere alone for an extended period of time is great whether you do psychedelics or not and like being close to nature just that alone is like amazing for your reflection and spirituality Mm -hmm. and you know doing these kinds of retreats with friends is like a great would be a great thing i know we've always talked about doing that so yeah yeah so here i am in nature And the first experience of this awareness of duality came while I was sitting in nature. And, you know, I, I, the kinds of thoughts that, that nature stimulates are very interesting because they feel so simple and profound at the same time. Right. Like when you're just sitting there and observing what is happening around you, you're witnessing the rawest truth of the universe in all of their simplicity and complexity unfolding right before your eyes. And there was this stream that was right by my cabin. And I spent some time every day of the three days I was there sitting in the cold water, just meditating. And this is where I ate my dose of shrooms. And um, sitting on the rocks after taking the shrooms, I watched the water flow around my body and the rocks. And the water was flowing freely and fluidly while the rocks sat still and solid, shaping the flow of the water. And I became aware of the way all of these rocks were providing a container to the water that would have had no form without them. So the solid rocks were shaping the flow of the water, giving it direction where it would have otherwise just dispersed into mud or something. Mm. I don't know. Whatever water does when it's not (laughs) (laughs) flowing. Yeah, yeah. Um, The rocks being the container for the stream also made it a place of beauty and a place for for contemplation for mm-hmm. me at that at that moment. So it was like it was the provider of this beautiful scene. Right. And as well, it was a home for all the fishies and froggies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so just this simple observation of the duality of solid and liquid, rock and water, this would be an important reminder a few hours later mm-hmm. when I was getting tossed around. In the chaos of mushrooms. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> okay. So after after feeling my perception start to change, I went inside the cabin and got myself cozy in my little bunk bed to just lie down and experience the shrooms, you know? Right. I had my simple intention of, like, just surrender, just experience whatever comes up. Let it guide you wherever you need to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. That didn't happen. <laughs> no, not the way it usually does. Yeah. Yeah. So like, well, I mean, like I said, I, I feel grateful to say that I've never had a bad trip and I feel like I should get like a little golden star psychonaut point or something for that. <laughs> Good job. You yeah. can handle it. 
So like what I experienced after coming up this time was completely shocking to me. Something that I think most people would categorize as a bad trip and definitely had the potential of being a full-blown bad trip for me Mm -hmm. had I not dug myself out of it eventually. And um, like I'm not of the mind that everything that is bad is actually like capital G good. You know, I, I do think that you can just have a really overwhelmingly anxious experience and that's not like what you need. Yeah. Like yeah, it can yeah. just be bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like some trips are just going to be so intense and horrible. Like for example, um, there's this guy in, in Calgary who was at a party drinking and was already drunk and then decided to do four grams of mushrooms. Probably had never done mushrooms in his life. So very little experience. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, and he, he basically lost uh, complete touch with reality, broke into a professor at the school he went to, uh, her house, and like beat her almost to death. Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. That's horrible. Um, there's no, there's no life lesson that you can take from that other than like, don't do mushrooms while drunk. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, don't do, don't do. Like, you, you get the picture. Yeah, he, he yeah. made some bad decisions, but it's yeah. like, <laughs> um, point being is that like, there's no like higher meaning or anything like that. He, yeah. he, this kid fucked up and nearly killed someone because of it. Yeah, there's not some kind of like capital G good le- yeah. life lesson from that. It's like he fucked up. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. Capital B bad. Capital B bad. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. This had the potential to be really bad. Everything came on very quickly and all my senses were cranked up so that it was intensely visual, loud, and fast. Yeah. And while I was lying there, I was watching the wooden walls of the cabin twist and melt and shake with such speed and intensity that it hurt to look at. Mm. And in my mind, at this point, I was trying to just tell myself like, okay, you're okay. You're high. You took a lot of shrooms, you know. It's okay. You got this. Like, this is what I wanted. I mean, I came all the way out here. I took this big dose because I wanted a big experience. Mm-hmm. So I was I was preparing for something intense, but like nothing could have prepared me for this. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I said, my, my intention is always just to surrender to the experience and let it take on whatever shape that it needs to. But there was no, there was, there was nothing to hold on to at all. Yeah. And that, and this notion of to just surrender and go with it just felt like a ridiculous lie I was telling myself. And at one point it just switched off and I went into sheer panic mode. Like, what, what was I thinking? Like, why am I doing this? Why did I think I could handle this? And just panic and fear. But these thoughts didn't seem to be coming from inside my head and they weren't coming as words. It was just like a feeling. And it seemed to be the source of of these feelings seemed to be the energy that I was witnessing in the spectacle of the cabin walls. And they seemed to be laughing at me. And this like seemingly external energy communication, I've conceptualized as like the gods in my past trip. Yeah. They've they've always been so nice to me. <laughs> you know, yeah. I always feel like I'm just like a little girl and they're like giving me lessons and it's all very nice. Mm-hmm. Not this time. Yeah. They were cruel, unwelcoming, and unforgiving. Oh, my God. (laughs) And that panic feeling then turned into a feeling of failure. Like, who did I think I was? And why did I think I could play at this level of consciousness? Mm -hmm. Like, I clearly was not the advanced psychonaut that I want to think that I am. (laughs) 
And I got into this very like you suck mindset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, just just utter failure. Right. And I felt like I was getting booed off the stage in Guitar Hero. <laughs> That's what it really felt like. Yeah. It. But it's... I but I couldn't just like go back to homepage and click on a different level of intensity, right. you know? It was like we're in this. Because you're in a fucking cabin. Yeah. High on mushrooms. <laughs> yeah oh it was terrifying right yeah but i feel like it's important thing to note is that as chaotic and intense and uncomfortable as this part of the the trip was i still saw it as a place that i wanted to be like i saw it as a level of skill that i aspired to be at and a place that i i wanted to be able to navigate and to play in yeah and i was very much reminded okay I wasn't reminded at the time, but this is something that I thought of later was like the quote by Joseph Campbell, where he says, the psychotic drowns in the same waters in which the mystic swims with delight. Mm. I, I was drowning. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I love that too. And like, I've heard that quote before. And I was yeah. like, that's, that's perfectly it. And like, I was drowning in this, but I wanted so badly to be the little mystic nymph swimming with delight in these waters. Yeah. But I was just getting beaten down mm-hmm. and it sucked yeah well yeah it's um the the thought that comes to mind and we've talked about this before is how like uh ken wilber talks about the pre-trans fallacy Mm -hmm. where it's you have pre-egoic which is the the drowning of the psychotic and then the trans-egoic which is the swimming of the mystic Mm -hmm. where you know, you've gone through the development of your ego where your sense of self is very strong, it's very healthy. And so when you dip your, your toes into that water, it's welcoming and warm, not cold and chaotic. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, in this state, for whatever reason, you were thrown into it as the psychotic. You were, you were, you were pushed into the waters that you just weren't... You, you were pushed into the deep end mm-hmm. when you, were, you hadn't like fully... Uh, taking all your swimming lessons yet you know what yeah. I mean? it's like you were still with water wings and someone was trying to like throw you off the diving board it's like <laughs> you weren't there for it yet yeah you know that's perfect yeah. oh wow i love that i love that i have a pause for comments from will like, <laughs> yeah. ken wilmer <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's perfect oh i can't wait to read ken fucking wilbur it is really good yeah it just brings everything together in a really nice way yeah um and it's like you don't it's not necessarily that everything he says is like amazing and right, mm-hmm. but the way he thinks about it is like mm-hmm. really amazing. Yeah. It sounds like really, he's de- he's like deeply developed his ideas. Yeah. He's provided like a lot of structure to these very, I don't know, esoteric things. He, I think he published, he either published it or started writing his first book at the age of 23, I believe. Wow. Um, and so he was, uh, he started very young doing this kind of stuff. Like I think he, he I think he came across, the idea of, of a satori at like 16 or 17 what and started is meditating. A, a satori is basically an enlightenment experience oh, okay. as far as I understand it, where it's like the kind of like, uh, it's the, it's the feeling of oneness where your sense of self mm-hmm. disappears or disintegrates. Uh, and so he started meditating around that time to try to have these experiences. And so if he started at 16, 17 to, to do meditation and like thinking about this kind of thing, mm-hmm. and you're doing this at 24, just starting to do this or at 23, you started that's that's uh that's like nearly 10 years thinking about that kind of stuff yeah wow you know what i mean so by the time he's 23 he's like really thought about this stuff a lot he has a lot of experience meditating mm-hmm. you know wow i'm basically the female ken wilbur basically yeah <laughs> shave your head and you'll be ready to go Woo! is he still alive 
Yeah, yeah. He's in his seventies, I believe. We should have him on. Maybe, yeah. If he wants to use some of his final breaths on us, <laughs> if he deems us worthy. Yeah, exactly. He did an interview with uh, some high school students recently. So. Oh, yeah. Was it called something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it, it was because uh, one of his books is like magnum opus, basically, is Sex Ecology Spirituality. And the the name that they titled the, the podcast or the video that they're doing this for is Ken Wilbur Goes to High School. Sex, ecology, spirituality. <laughs> <laughs> Ken Wilbur goes to high school. Sex. <laughs> this seventy-year-old man. It's like I don't know if that's the best name, guys. Uh, like, oh my god. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe that's an indication of my own fucked upness. Yeah. I found that funny, no, but... I think it's. Like, maybe we're the same brand of fucked up. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Uh, great book, though. Yeah. <laughs> great guy. Can't wait, can't yeah. But thankfully, I didn't stay in that chaos. Yeah. That fucking hell. I didn't stay there. I fought my way out. How did you do that? How did I do that? Okay, so this is what I did. I sat up in bed. I stared at that wall, that spectacle of chaos in the in the cabin walls. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I just conceded to this intense, to intense energy. I just cried out, please help me, I need help. Right. Like screamed. I started to cry and moan. And this had an immediate and profound effect on my state of being. Yeah. Like I, I became aware immediately of the way that the moaning and crying was kind of creating this resonance in my body for the emotion to like pass through almost. Yeah. My fear was given a channel to flow through. My throat, the vibration of my vocal cords and my diaphragm. So instead of being this solely cerebral experience of anxiety, I now felt my fear moving through my body. And I was reminded of the rocks in the stream. <laughs> like in a in this beautiful moment of insight, I knew that I had to place rocks. Like all of this energy that I was I was witnessing was just like that chaos, that fluid flow of water. And I had to provide shape to allow this energy to flow so that I wasn't completely overwhelming, overwhelmed and drowned by it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense because one thing that comes to mind as you were talking about this, and I think you, you mentioned this before uh, when we were talking about this and uh, it was very much like the, the Midsommar Mm -hmm. the movie mm -hmm. um, where all they're like, they're like moaning and making these noises together as like a kind of collective thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's, it's bringing the full body into it rather than just being stuck in, in the visuals in your head, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like the channeling of it through your body. Like we, we consider, we consider the body to be so feminine, like at least based on what I understand about like the kind of stereotypes we have is like being embodied is like getting in touch with your feminine and that kind mm -hmm. of thing. But for you in this moment, it was like getting your full body into it reminded you of how the masculine contains the feminine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's perfect. Yes, that's exactly it. And thank you for bringing up Midsommar because <laughs> I love that movie. It's yeah. been a huge inspiration for me in my my mushroom adventures. But yeah, I, I love the way they express emotion in that movie. Like there are so many scenes where people are just like freaking out, screaming, thrashing around. And it's just like this huge cathartic release of whatever yeah. pent up deep shit is inside them. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not again, like our, our very like masculine society is like 
suppress your emotions, hide your emotions, and then you're just holding all those emotions in your body. Mm-hmm. Whereas this society, this culture is, no, no, fully get into the emotion. Mm-hmm. There's no holding it back. It's like, you know, again, in our in our psychedelics is a, a catalyst for somatic experiencing. Mm-hmm. When a bird, when we talk about this, where like if a bird hits a window and like falls to the ground, it like will start shaking violently and then get back up and fly away fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like shaking out, like putting the full body into whatever needs to happen when it's doing this yeah. to get rid of that trauma. Yeah, exactly. Releasing the tension instead of like letting it accumulate in your in your muscles and stuff. Yeah. It's funny. I, I, I don't, Have you ever read 1984? I've never read it, no. I remember in one of the first scenes, they do this thing called four minutes hate. Oh. And they just like set a timer and they just scream. <laughs> <laughs> and yell okay. and okay. swear and thrash around for four minutes and then they just turn it off and then go back on with their lives yeah yeah and i always like that that stuck out to me as like it's fucking crazy yeah kind of cool you know? yeah yeah sounds kind of nice so kaylee is a totalitarian is <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's something in there yeah there. yeah <laughs> So yeah, this was this was the most intense and vicious thing I'd ever experienced on mushrooms. And though this act of conceding through crying and crying for help and that subsequent insight of the need to shape the experience was a turning point, I still had to fight for it. This mushroom trip asked of me more than I had ever been asked before. And yeah, like I, I could not be the water. I could not be the water in that surrender and flow of like letting what happens happen. I really had to be the rocks shaping the flow of the energy. Mm-hmm. And so finally I had my pencil and paper and I began to like do anything I can to, to, to fight against like the, the overwhelming intensity and like just give direction. Yeah. And like, I, and I did this through asking questions and like the first question was, what questions do I want to ask? <laughs> okay, good start. But yeah, it was crazy. I I, remember yeah. I was sitting there just thinking like, what do I want to ask? I can ask anything like, where do I want to go? Yeah. And it's, it's kind of overwhelming and it was overwhelming to be like, to think that I, it was all me. Like I had to shape this experience. Yeah. yeah. Whereas in the past, I'm just like, oh, just go with it. It was like, no, like oh, I have to create this experience. Right. But eventually it, it started it started coming and it ended up being really beautiful and amazing yeah well that's one of the um one thing that comes to mind is uh when you're writing any project or or doing anything creative at all the best thing to do is just start doing it yeah his shit like get rid of the idea that the first stroke needs to be the greatest stroke of all time yeah and Sometimes that can literally mean writing, I don't know what to write or what should I write next or mm-hmm. what is the questions I should be asking. Yeah. And that's just getting you started. Yeah. And then it starts flowing. That's so true. And like I was actually looking over my notes from the trip the other night and the first bit was just like, what questions do I want? And I would ask a question. I'm like, these aren't the questions I want. And yeah. I'd just be like scratching shit out. It was all like very angry yeah, and yeah, like yeah. just fighting against everything. Yeah. But yeah, eventually it became nice. So if I'm kind of fully grasping how this evolved is that this flowing, just surrender to the moment has kind of been the strategy that you've had previously. And that was very feminine for you. Mm. And then in this trip, it became far too much. Like it's just like a a torrent of of consciousness, so to speak. Mm. And 
that was when you realized this feminine strategy just wasn't going to work anymore. And so the getting your body to go into it kind of triggered a masculinizing of the experience. And then you started writing and you just needed to channel it. And so for you, this, this, like what it means for you to masculinize in that moment was to fight against it, to ask questions and to try to like turn it into something mm -hmm. rather than having it be whatever it wants to be. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Wow. Well, you have a way with words. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, yeah. So now we're going to get into like the insights. Okay. It was a long and arduous trip. And I'd definitely never gone that deep before. And it left me absolutely ruined. Mm. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> that's, that's intense. Okay. But it was totally worth it because yeah. like the lessons I've, I've received from this trip and the ways I've integrated them feel like the most important thing, like mm. the most important change that I've ever made in my life. Right. It's amazing. But like I said, it was heavily visionary and this was important to the insights. So... I'm going to describe that to you as best as I can first. So I saw the universe as like a bubble of energy. Right. It was just like the circular bubble and floating within that bubble, there was an architectural structure, like a vertical structure. Yeah. And there were levels to this. There was the physical realm that was like somewhere in the middle. There was the psychic realm above that. And then beyond there was just the pure energy forceful realm right which was the infinite space within the bubble outside of the architectural structure okay and this was at the grand like universal scale and that kind of came later in the trip but it really started at my individual psychic level so like that same structure that was true at the universal scale was also true at just like the individual me level okay if that makes sense can you kind of elaborate on that yeah so you know how i said like there's like this bubble and then floating within that bubble there was like a structure right that was the entire universe okay that, that i was viewing but like all the way down to just like me in my personal brain in my psyche i also was a structure all in my own so it was like i am a universe all in myself and then oh, okay. like out there there's also at a grander level and so it's the same at the personal level was there like a formlessness to it as well or was there just structure there there was there was a formlessness as well there was yeah. like that was the the space that everything floated in okay yeah basically like this whole idea of the bubble of energy and the, the structure within that bubble right. this was true at every single level like cultural societal personal universal this was just like that 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 duality was there there was like there was energy and there was structure okay and so starting at my individual mind level i was like deep in the in the trenches of it like i was down at the very deepest layers of the structure and i was assessing kind of the structural integrity of the foundation of my own mind okay and this structural integrity was a question of like the balance of of its ability to both quell energy and allow energy to pass through okay so a healthy structure would be one that was strong but also flexible if the structure was too tight and rigid energy wouldn't be able to pass through it with ease and that would create a degree of discomfort right but if the structure wasn't built strong enough 
energy would just like wreck it all and it, it wouldn't be stable and it would be like overwhelmed by yeah. force. Okay. So, for example, at a cultural level, we can assess the structure of a society. Right. So how free and fulfilled are the people and how much of their life energy is allowed to flow in order for them to thrive mm -hmm. in contrast to how, how stifled and oppressed they could be. Really what I'm getting at is something about like the progression of how much wants to be expressed and how much the structure can allow to be expressed healthily. Okay. Yeah. Cause you know, one of the, one of the best examples of kind of green um, from spiral dynamics is the birth control pill and how that allowed for greater complexity of sexual relationships and romantic relationships. Like women now had the freedom to sleep with people without fear of becoming pregnant. And so that opened up a whole can of worms and we needed more structures in place that I think that we still have not properly built mm -hmm. to allow for that greater structural freedom or that, that greater sexual freedom rather. Um, and so, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And so it's like, again, I, I'm, I'm asking if energy is change or energy is like potential mm -hmm. for you where it's like, it's the, it's like the, the greatest amount of, expression that can happen is this energy mm -hmm. and yet the if you were to go all the way in that one direction it would just be chaos completely yes it'd exactly. be people you know fucking and killing in whatever order and yeah. it'd just not be not be a happy place yeah um so you need that structure there yeah exactly and it's always a compromise of the two things like that that kind of energy yeah it is it is change it's like this force that's always going right. to be like pushing against the structure yeah it's always like it's like the ever-expanding quality of the universe there's always going to be like more like this yeah. push against the structure that exists i think whitehead said i think it was whitehead who said um the creative advance into novelty mm. you know it's like mm -hmm. there's always going to be more and there it's going it's like a creative advance into novelty there's new always and like we can't predict what's gonna happen next mm-hmm we can do a little bit, but like anything could happen. Yeah, exactly. It was clear that that forceful energy that was the essence of the bubble was always going to be pushing against the structure at every level. Right. There would always necessarily be a compromise, a need to balance, but that force was always knocking. And that would necessitate that that structural integrity always be reassessed, rebuilt, and fortified time and time again you know yeah. it's like you don't just build it once and then like leave it or just keep building upwards that foundation those like the truths that you you had established before need to like go be revisited and questioned time and time mm -hmm. again mm -hmm. well that's kind of from what i can gather what the postmodern philosophers began doing is like the, the project of philosophy since i believe descartes was to find some kind of foundation mm -hmm of for what you could ground truth into uh and so if we could find this foundation then we could compare all truths to this thing and this has been going on since him uh, you know potentially potentially even before um and i would say before definitely but uh point being is that it was the postmodern philosophers who said there will never be any foundation mm -hmm. there, there is no foundation that you could ground all truth in and you know kind of comparing those two things it's like if there is no foundation, then that means that whatever foundation we choose needs to be open to update because it's not the one true foundation that all truths can be grounded in. Mm -hmm. And so 
this need to have some sort of base structure that is always changing just never work i think mm-hmm. i said that just now but yeah repeating myself yeah i yeah i kind of get into that a bit later too but that's kind of what i was realizing that that at every level of the structure there are going to be different truths yeah. truths <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah um you know and like just because there is a truth at a higher level that doesn't necessarily negate something that is true at a lower level it's just like a different level of complexity to operate at Mm -hmm. yeah and it's like the opposite of that is to say well fuck any foundation Mm -hmm. no matter what but that's not necessarily good or like just fuck all these traditions in our past and stuff like this Mm -hmm. but that's not necessarily a good thing either because a lot of these traditions that we do have are very very important for reasons that we will never know until we get rid of them and be like oh fuck like now we see what this was stopping from happening. Yeah, exactly. All of those old traditions, that's the foundation that we're we're all standing upon today. Yeah. And yeah, see it works at that level and like yeah. we we have to go back and question them, but it's not to get rid of the foundation, it's to like yeah. it's to go back and reassess. Some of it is is very oppressive. Yeah, it's something of that we should get rid of. Yeah. But much of it that we might think is oppressive or that much of it is very important to keep. Mm-hmm. And so we don't want to be, you know, ham-fisted and throw out the baby with the bathwater. Bath mm-hmm. yeah. mm-hmm. And even the the oppressive stuff, though, like that's still a lesson that we've learned. Yeah. You know, like w- we did all those things and now we know yeah. the lesson from that, like that's the wrong way. And so that's still part of the foundation that we stand yeah. on. Well, that's, you know, like it's kind of like slavery, you know, a very extreme example, obviously. But we kind of take it for granted that we know that slavery is wrong today. The simple fact that it existed for thousands of years is evidence to say that they just didn't know it was wrong. You know, that's why they were doing it. Or th- mm-hmm. For the most part, people didn't think it was a wrong thing to do. And you even have a lot of philosophies and religions based around the idea that God made some people slaves and some people masters. And that's just the natural order of things. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it took you know, thousands of years of cultural evolution to come to the point where we could say, oh, slavery isn't what we should do, mm-hmm. right? And so, and so to your point, it's, it's the, ability, the ability to reflect on the things that we do as a culture and being able to change necessitates that there's going to be some things we are doing wrong and there's some things that we could be doing better and and that like that simple fact like how do i explain that it's you know the simple fact that we can reflect on what we're doing as a culture and say this thing is wrong and we need to change it mm-hmm. means that we will always have things like that mm-hmm. we will always have mistakes made uh, on a personal and a cultural level and so there's going to be things that are very 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 horrible and very wrong but at least we can change them. If the, does, does that make sense? Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And what's, what I'm thinking of right now is like when people ask the question, um, can you separate the art from the artist? Because, right. you know, so many artists of the past that have contributed in their respective fields in so many powerful ways were also wrong and oppressive by today's standards in other ways. Right. And it's like, I don't think you should separate the artist and, and the artist. I think you should take the whole thing as what it is, you right. know, like integrate both and of this person's influence and like the time they were in. Yeah. I don't think it's necessary that you have to compromise. I think it's like, it's all, it's all valuable. Yeah. It's all saying, it's all something to be learned from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Again, it's just about like being able to reflect on our past and say like, oh, this person who took freedom way further than anybody else before also owned slaves. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like that, that person, um, like I think Washington is the person I'm thinking of. I Mm. I don't know. This is how much I know about American history as a Canadian. (laughs) Um, but, uh, um, you know, that person needs to be thought of in their context. And so today, today there are people who are pushing freedom and prosperity and equality way, way further than anybody else before them. But they're also doing some fucked up shit mm-hmm. that we're not going to understand is fucked up for another hundred years, 200 years after the fact. Yeah. And so that's something that, you know, really speaks to like epistemic humility is to say that like, there are some really fucked up shit that we're doing today. Mm-hmm. Each and every one of us that we need to be aware of in 200 years, we're going to be <laughs> fucked up by it, you know? Actually, I had a thought about this before and I was just thinking, what is it? Oh man, there was something. Oh, the university. Mm-hmm. Like not necessarily the university is oppressive, but just that the university as it currently stands and like the education, like, again, it's, it just comes down to the education system. Oh, right? We come back to this every oh, time. Every time <laughs> I mean, the education system comes up. Um, and it's not to say, like, I'm definitely not making the point that education is as oppressive as slavery, of course, or the education system as it currently stands. But the point I'm making is that the way the current education system set up is set up is like this medieval thing that hasn't really changed much mm-hmm. in the past couple hundred years. Mm-hmm. And so in, in another couple hundred years, we're going to look back on the education system and think, how the fuck did they think that worked? Mm-hmm. Like, how, why, why did they think that was the best way to, like, not only educate a population, but, make an, uh, but educate a population to value being educated, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like things like that where we, we put so much stock in the university, so much stock in, in professional and not professional, but formal education that we're blind to the limitations of it and to the Mm -hmm. systemic issues behind it and and how it's really limiting the kind of flourishing that all people can have. And that's the point, Mm -hmm. is that there are things that we are completely blind to Mm -hmm. because it is just so much part of the status quo, just so much part of what we think is the natural way of things Mm -hmm. that we, we we just like... I always see these posts on Reddit of like, oh, what's going to be the thing that we look back in a hundred years that we're going to think is is screwed up? Mm-hmm. And a bunch of people come up with all these answers, which might be true. But the thing is, is that nobody's going to think about these things. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to come up with the right answer that's actually the right answer mm-hmm. by definition. If we're talking about 400 years from now, mm-hmm. by definition, all of us sitting here trying to think of something isn't going to come up with the right answer because mm-hmm. it's so unimaginably deep in our conception of society and the human species, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, maybe I'm being hype, uh, um, maybe I'm exaggerating there a little bit. Like maybe it's not quite that deep. But no, I'm it just sounds really stress. intense when you say it. Like yeah, that. yeah. I'm just kind of like I'm just trying to stress like how it's really hard to learn or to 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 reflect on what are the oppressive aspects of our current society because we're just so blinded to it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And what you're saying about school, that that is really an example of just a structure that has been built and it's built rigidly and it, it's built in a way that you yeah. know, we think is right and good, but it's it's really something that needs to constantly be gone back to to reassess and rebuild that structure or or change it, like let it adapt with the times. It's it's just like religion, you know. It doesn't change for hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's like, why Why do we think this is still going to be like a healthy 
thing today if it doesn't adapt with the people who are participating in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, that it actually has changed mm-hmm. over the past couple hundred years. But we're so... Like school? No, no, uh, religion. Oh, well, yeah, school too. Right. It's like school too. I think like when I said it's medieval, yeah. I think that's a little bit exaggerating. But <laughs> it is still like a lot of it is still based on kind of these medieval models of education and these medieval models of... Um, like the structure of it is is very much akin to that but there has been changes and there have been changes mm-hmm, in in mm-hmm. religion but that kind of is to a point that it's going to be changing anyway and so we need to make those changes conscious mm-hmm. or else they're just going to be changing randomly uh, as a consequence of just like normal changes that happen throughout a society and mm-hmm, then those people like mm-hmm. acting in such a way that like these changes emerge from all these actors in these fields mm-hmm when we could be making those processes conscious and intentional rather than merely a consequence of random randomness let's yeah. say if that makes sense yeah and that that goes back to exactly what i was saying at my personal level at the beginning where i was like i i have been changing over the past however many years since i've been kind of like doing spirituality self development stuff yeah sorry about but, that tangent no that's okay that's okay <laughs> that's fine no it's it's good yeah. um but um but what I really recognized that I lacked was that like that purposeful direction yeah. behind it that would that would allow it to change in such a you know at a quicker pace with a lot more intention in in a direction that I knew I really wanted to be going in. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that's all you can say. Yeah. Um, but you're right. And I have this written here is like that this force of energy is the driver of progress, of development mm. and of desire. It's like the reason we question and why we do anything. It's the life force. And so that mm. energy was really what I what was coming to me in, in this trip as the feminine. Right. Like she was the bubble mm-hmm. and he was the structure that gave gave form to her. Right. And like allowed her to to shape her expression and allowed her to be experienced at all. Because, you know, what I was experiencing at the beginning of trip, which was just like that chaos, that was kind of like her without him. Mm-hmm. It was like all energy, no form, and it was just overwhelming and created so much anxiety. And like I've come to understand that now is kind of like that was the energy imbalance that I was experiencing in my life where I was just had this yeah. like this psychic abyss of of urges and impulses and emotions without any structural channels to to shape their expression it was just being bombarded by force all the time mm-hmm. and as i was seeing this structure and and the way they were interacting together where the structure was like giving like shaping her giving her direction and also providing all of the beauty and knowledge and understanding and providing like a healthy way to experience higher levels of of reality mm-hmm. So yeah, just on like on that note of the masculine being like the provider for the experience of the feminine to be experienced like healthily and safely rather than being overwhelmed with a painful degree of anxiety and emotion that you don't know what to do with. Yeah. There's like there's an art to shaping that flow and there's an art to to structure in discipline and organization and in delaying gratification. And these are things that may feel uncomfortable at at the time. You know, it's it's that quelling of the energy that is is pushing against the sh- the structure because it wants to be expressed. Mm-hmm. But these aspects of structure are absolutely necessary to be able to 
to build to like higher levels of experiencing that beauty and sexual sensuality like in spirituality like what you said about ken wilbur and like the the transegoic you had to build that structure and like fortify your your ego before yeah. you can obliterate it and let it go <laughs> you know you can't just like jump to that level it really speaks to that like build the structure first yeah. so that you can experience those higher levels of mysticism and, mm. and transcendence absolutely yeah mm -hmm. yeah just an, another example a different kind of example that I, I had written here was like like tantric sex for example versus masturbating to porn every <laughs> night before bed <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like okay that like that sexual desire is like an example of like a life force yeah. like a, a, a forceful energy that wants expression everybody wants to come mm -hmm. and you could so easily do that if you if you didn't have like the structure of, of shaping maybe like let's like with intention with consciousness you shape that energy and you can use that shape to build up to something higher like experiencing a tantric level of sex where you right. know i don't know what are tantric things like for men i guess coming up the spine <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> literally that is really a, okay yeah, okay yeah, yeah. but you're you not know, literally ejaculating up the spine but like it's, it's like going through the the spine now it's yeah. not coming out your balls <laughs> coming out your balls <laughs> come doesn't do that anymore yeah i think you missed a couple steps there <laughs> Um, but it's like a full body orgasm. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than just like a, a genital orgasm, just yeah. like your balls clenching and your dick throbbing. It's like goes up your spine. It's just a full body orgasm. Yeah, you know? exactly. And, or having like a non ejaculatory orgasm, mm -hmm. like that, you can't just do that. You have to like practice a lot and it may take like years to be able to be mm -hmm. able to do that with all of like your control and stuff. Um, yeah, I've been trying it for uh, over a year now. Mm -hmm. I've stopped practicing, actually. I'm, I'm just doing a no-fap streak mm -hmm. completely. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I practiced for a year and I, I can get a hang of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it takes like a lot of structure and like intention and discipline. But the payoff is that you can have a non-ejaculatory orgasm. That's probably, it sounds like it's pretty cool. And you can get that if you have those structures in place to shape that forceful energy that urge to just come and like you know if you just let that forceful energy dictate your actions and you just do the easy pleasurable thing of masturbating to porn every day you're still going to have orgasms but you're not going to reach that level of like divine sexuality where you're yeah. experiencing like these higher levels of what's possible in your human body and in the context of of your partner too yeah for sure rather than like this voyeuristic you know monologue so to speak by yourself it's mm -hmm. it's a dialogue between somebody else mm -hmm. you know yeah for sure and, and like this is true at every level there's like an art to shaping your experience and using those those structures of intention direction time and discipline mm -hmm. to allow for greater experiences and safer experiences yeah and bringing it back to that um that chaos at the beginning yeah. it's like like i felt like i was drowning in that and and that's okay like like i said i've taken a lot of value from this trip so like it what it didn't end up being bad but um but definitely having greater structures is just safer when when trying to access these higher levels of consciousness like i want to yeah 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 i find it interesting 
there's like you you kind of talked about how it's like your drive is the feminine and you know we tend to think when we when we think about the masculine that it's you know your drive to achieve and make something happen that's your masculine like get in touch with your man right mm-hmm. but the way that you're conceptualizing it i actually do think fits into that mm-hmm. it's just a, it's just a finer distinction here because it's like if the feminine is the potential then the masculine is making the potential into something. Mm-hmm. And so it takes the masculine to be able to say, okay, let's go out and and do this thing. Mm-hmm. That going out to do that thing is taking the potential of the feminine and giving it form, like you said. Mm-hmm. But that that potential, that like, that, how do I say that? It's that mystery and that chaos and that potential and energy is... The, the the motivating force because that's the thing that's like making you try to make turn it into form mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense where it's like yeah if everything was just static and the same there would be no drive to change anything and so if everything was just structure that's not drive to do anything mm-hmm. there has to be some sort of potential or some sort of chaos that exists to drive you to try to turn it into form yeah you know yeah to make sense of it yeah and yeah it's like it's the motivation it's just the urge like the feminine is just like that yeah like you said that energy the potential the desire like the force the push against the structure and he like responds to that and manifests it he's like the direction right the shaping of it to create something yeah that's interesting Mm -hmm. like i think that's Again, like maybe it's me trying to to force that into my current conceptualization of masculine and feminine, mm-hmm. but I feel like there is a distinction there that fits into my current conceptualization, but is such is it's a much finer distinction that I think it it, it adds to it so much more. Wow. Yeah. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. You're welcome. That. I'm glad. Mm-hmm. I'm glad. Yeah. So this is something that kind of came up before, but I just want to bring it up again. Is um, there's a lot of talk around spirituality about non-dual awareness right you know and that seems to be like as high as you can go where everything is like perfect unity perfect integration you dissolve into it and it's like this unitary orgasmic bliss you know Mm -hmm. and that and that sounds great and you know we can hold on to that as a goal and understand that like you know even if we haven't experienced that ourselves and we're not at that point where we can embody that on a daily basis like you know i I can see that as as an ultimate goal even though i don't understand it completely yeah that's kind of like across the different models and even religions it seems like that is kind of where everything ends up yeah is like unity Mm -hmm. not non-duality but the point i'm bringing us back to is that like we have to do the work yeah before we can access that level of consciousness that's why this trip of like of really understanding the dualities of masculine and feminine first but then like seeing it hold true at every level it was kind of like developing a a reverence and respect for the duality a deep respect for the structure Mm -hmm. and how how necessary it is to like build a strong foundation and a strong structure and it's just bringing it back to that idea that you can't you can't skip a step and maybe there are higher levels where these dualities don't exist anymore, where they completely merge together. And that's actually towards the end of the trip, 
this is kind of what I, I started to experience. And I haven't really done a lot of um, reflecting on that because like genuinely this respect for the, the structure and seeing that duality, that's like the most important thing. And it's like, it's given me the most practical lessons mm-hmm. of how to like build and structure my life. Like that's where I'm at right now. And that's the lesson that I need. Mm-hmm. But I, towards the end of this trip, I was, I was experiencing this vision of the two dualities like the structure and the energy and they would meld together and at some point it just became so perfect and it would just dissolve Mm -hmm. and then there would just be nothing and it felt like so good and then it would just be like uh and then back down here and then it would like find a new problem to work its way through and at the end it would just dissolve again it would be perfect and Mm -hmm. then it just kept going through this it felt like so long it just like every level it kept going in the same form and and the the solution was always the same in the end but there was just no language at this point. There was nothing. And I was so exhausted from tripping for like hours. I was just like, oh my God. It was honestly exhausting. I was like, I can't see this anymore. It's always the same. <laughs> like, yeah, just stop yeah. playing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I had that with my last trip where I was just like, okay, I have I have everything I need. From yeah. This. Like, you, yeah. Can, you can solve now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, definitely like that level of awareness. It's like, it's valuable to, to practice that and to hold on to that as like maybe like the ultimate truth but um but just because something else is true at a higher level like i said earlier that doesn't mean that something seemingly contradictory isn't true at a lower level in quotations of ex- of complexity for example at at the level of non-duality kaylee and will are not separate entities we are actually the same and there's nothing out there and we are just consciousness we're just the universe experiencing itself blah mm-hmm. blah 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 blah, all that shit (laughs) and yeah and that that can be that can be a valuable Mm -hmm. level of awareness to operate at and it can benefit your life and well-being in many ways but there is a level where it is true that kaylee and will are separate entities that they are individuals and this is a level that still has to be respected for what it is right and we can hold that both and when we exist in our day-to-day lives yeah Mm -hmm. yeah I mean, yeah, that's a really beautiful thing that that Wilbur has said is that, you know, God's love goes all the way up and all the way down. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so it's like, it's not merely love for the highest truth. It's love for the lowest, the lowest of the low. You know what I mean? It's like, um, and so part of that, that, you know, that, that true non-duality, so to speak, is the love for the day to day Mm -hmm. that is included in that unity, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was a great, beautiful trip. (laughs) (laughs) And like I said, the most like applicable, the most practically applicable lesson that I can use like on a day-to-day life is just that is like respect the structure and build it Mm -hmm. in any, in any way you can like organize yourself, structure yourself. And because that allows for greater experience. So much of what I had perceived to be the masculine before is what I characterized as the negative aspect in a lot of things, Mm -hmm. like that limited rigidity that stifled creativity and authenticity and like this lack of flexibility that created anxiety and depression. Yeah. But through working with these insights, I have come to a way more, way more positive and healthy perception of the masculine and I now see him as the great provider of all of that sensual delight, yeah. of that deep and genuine understanding. Like he is the he is the structure that I need to stand on in order to experience the levels of consciousness and beauty that I desire. Mm-hmm. And in simple ways, like I said earlier, where I resisted structure mm-hmm. and organization, 
now I do that and I realize that it's not taking away from my feminine essence or experience at all. It's actually allowing me to experience it with way more stability. Yeah. Like I, I no longer feel helpless in my scattered brain of chaos being pulled around by psychic urges. I recognize this duality of force and form now. And when I feel overcome by forceful emotion, I now know that what I need in that moment is structure. And this can be something just as simple as naming it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard of the, this method of like how to acutely quell your anxiety is like naming what you're feeling with your, with your senses. Yeah. You know, like name five things you can see, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, mm-hmm. and one thing you can taste, which is probably usually just spit <laughs> or banana lip jab, yeah. which I can taste a lot right now. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like just that method, that's that's shaping the structure of your of your mind. Whereas like anxiety usually is just like a million things going on in your head and you're paralyzed by fear of all of them. Yeah. Just bringing it back down to right now and like name what you can feel. And that just like putting words to, to feelings mm-hmm. brings it all back down. Yeah. Well, that, that again, it's we come back to that initial point that I had talked about with the becoming so label critical that you become anti-label. Mm-hmm. But it's often the case that labels allow us to make sense of things Mm -hmm. if we can label something then it's it's just something we can contend with yeah you know and like we actually had the a debate in one of my classes about um what's called categorical mental illness versus continuous mental illness Mm. where categorical mental illness is like you're depressed or you're not Mm -hmm. right you're you're moderate depressed you're mild depressed you're heavily depressed and you either are one of those things or you're not. Mm-hmm. Whereas continuous depression is, there's a spectrum of depression. You can fall on an infinite number of degrees of depressed, and there's not really these hard boundaries, mm-hmm. right? And so there's there's good and bad things to both method, right? Mm-hmm. But kind of the traditional method is the categorical approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that the professor said, uh, Dr. Dunfield, she said that, you know, at the end of the day, like we need to make a diagnosis just so we can move forward. Mm-hmm. And however, you know, whatever system of diagnosis we're going to have, you know, a few decades from now, whenever, right now, the only way to move things forward is to give a person a diagnosis mm-hmm. because that could be the difference between them getting the help they need or not. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, like, again, there's limitations to that, of course. Mm-hmm. But if you're, if you're a person dealing with a lot of issues and the only thing, preventing you from getting insurance is a doctor you know a psychiatrist diagnosis then just give them that diagnosis say that's that and then you can begin contending with it like i said Mm -hmm. and maybe they're you know whatever spectrum of whatever these mental illnesses they might lie on it could be a multitude of mental illnesses that it fits in multiple different categories it could just be merely one but to a certain extent that doesn't necessarily qualify for mental illness Right now, the way the current system works is that labels move things forward. Mm-hmm. And that's like what you've been saying. It's like the structure moves things forward, allows things to move things forward in a way that's actually beneficial mm-hmm. rather than just this chaotic mess of, of potentiality that doesn't mm-hmm. really become anything. It just becomes destructive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And like we were saying at the beginning of like the trip when I was like asking questions, 
It's like the the first stroke doesn't have to be like the stroke of genius. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. you just have to move. You just have to keep moving. Like go in a direction, and like we'll learn more, and then we'll come. We can go back and decide yeah. if that was right or wrong later. But you know, you just have to. You just have to shape it. You just have to give it some kind of form, some purposeful direction. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, like you like you said it. It allows for greater expression. Yeah. The, the, you know, the tantric sex is a beautiful experience that's one of the peak experiences you can have as a human being mm-hmm. that few humans have ever experienced. And it takes a lot of structure to get there. Mm-hmm. And so it's discipline equals freedom. Exactly. That, you know, that is a non-dual truth kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it's like... Yeah. You need to be very disciplined to allow for greater degrees of freedom. Yeah. You need to be very structured to allow for greater degrees of expression. Mm-hmm. So it's it's it the the duality melts down there. It does. I love that mm-hmm. melting dualities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I feel like I've said everything that I've had to say, but you know, I just I just feel like I know now. You know, like I have. I feel like I have this valuable lesson. Mm-hmm. It's like a foundational lesson yeah. that I feel like everything now can be built on. I'm just really grateful. That's good. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for having this this opportunity to put it all into words because that was like the hardest part of all of this integration was really like getting it into word form and presenting it like this. Yeah. But. Well, you kind of like you, this was a very metaphysical trip. Yeah. You know, like you really went into like the metaphysics of reality and yeah. Who like? That's not to say that this is the one true metaphysics. Of no, course, but yeah. Like, this was a metaphysics that it's a metaphysics for Kaylee to help her understand yeah. what she needs to do and like how she's conceptualizing things, you know. And so it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's just a very powerful thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like you said, it, it's a foundational thing, and that's kind of the metaphysics is like uh-huh. the foundation of reality and how reality works understanding that now you can move forward with your life having these like really deep understandings of your psyche and how you understand things mm-hmm. that's it it definitely was very metaphysical and, and i'm i'm grateful for it for that because it's really opened me up to that level of thinking and like i want to explore that mm-hmm. deeply now and like across the different models of that people have come up with before to like yeah. map that map the experience of like building that structure in whatever way and ultimately ending up at at the level of non-dual awareness you yeah, know? yeah well i know you're right like spoilers but mm-hmm. i know you're working right now on like the death podcast mm-hmm. and reading a lot about death mm-hmm. once you're done that you should read sex ecology spirituality okay because i feel like that's a it's a great book number one but i feel like it's uh it really goes deeply into metaphysics and one of the things he talks about is how like you have a hole on right and we've talked about this in the past hole on hole on if you don't know by now if you're if you're new to the podcast <laughs> it's uh, a thing a way to categorize reality where everything is a hole on because it's simultaneously uh, a part of something but its own whole right mm-hmm. and so like a, a a water molecule is a hole but it's also um like in, in terms of like, it, it, it's a whole that includes oxygen and hydrogen. And so it's a whole, mm-hmm. but it's also part of higher holes of like an ocean or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so point being is that when Wilbur kind of talks about like some features of holons, like what do, what are 
um, the 20 tenets of holons that he talks about mm -hmm. is that there's agency in the sense that a holon can move around and be its own individual whole, but there's also a communion to holons where holons come together to make higher holons, mm -hmm. right? And so like the communion, communion aspect of a holon is the feminine and the agency aspect of a holon is the masculine, mm -hmm. right? And so it's like, you need both to make everything that you see around you because there's things coming together and there's things being their own thing being pulled apart from each other mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's like if i use this mic i have to distinguish this mic from everything else in the room but to use this mic i have to bring all the pieces of the mic together into a working functional mic mm -hmm. you know yeah that's fascinating yeah i can't wait to read that <laughs> <laughs> yeah sounds great so honestly like it when i started reading it it really hit it was like i listened <laughs> I, I i read listening society by hansi mm -hmm. and then i think the next book i i read was uh sex ecology spirituality and mm -hmm. i was like oh mm -hmm. these two books back to back would just like redefine my life literally redefine my life yeah so, yeah damn i love that yeah thank you for listening <laughs> i really hope you enjoyed this I had a really great time having this conversation Me with too. you, Will. Yeah. Thank you for all your valuable insight. Yeah. Thank you so much for your valuable insight <laughs> and for sharing this trip with us. You're welcome. Yeah. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye.